1: Symphonic Orchestra. That was the 2017 remix of Respect with Aretha Franklin. Really excited about today's guests, especially our first guest, uh, Simon Sue, the Melbourne rapper and record producer. Their new record, Everything Is Going to Be Okay, is out, and I had listened to it before, and it is wonderful. They'll be joining me real soon. In the studio to talk about their lyrics, uh, the music industry, queer stuff, and at a completely different kind of, you know, focus, we'll be talking to Jackson Fairchild from the Victorian AIDS Council. They basically hosting some groups, uh, coming up later in May about partner violence and domestic violence aimed at gender diverse, trans, and queer people aged between 18 and 35. To get you in the mood for Simo Sue, here is their track, Hi.
2: Tracy community radio Tell
0: me tell me where my fucking friends go I'm in mean, the woods like plumbing fair I Only exist on Twitter Instagram yo, yo, where my fucking red go? I am spending on beers and massages, I died for human contact, to be honest. I'm on this train and no one sees me, but really. Hey, where my fucking back go? I lost at the shady party to know nobody, got me tracing footsteps, like a conspiracy. Feel like a Beatles but I am a ring, yo. Stop thinking about it. Hey, stop thinking about it. Hey, stop thinking about it. Hey, stop thinking about. Stop thinking about it. Hey, stop thinking about it. Hey, stop thinking about it. Hey, stop thinking about. Breathe, let it go. Breathe, let it go. Breathe, let it go. Breathe, let it go. Let it go. Breathe, let it go. Breathe, let it go. Breathe, let it go. In, out. Let it go. Breathe, let it go. Breathe. In, out. Let it go. Breathe, let it go. Why my fucking phone, girl? Don't matter. It's only for debt collectors. No one blowing up my phone. So reckless, why my fucking mind go? I'm a pixie and I never fucking have one. Where my fucking clothes go, they came off while my brain was gone. And when I get up for breakfast, I put them on. Ah, I don't give no fucks, no one fucks with me, I just might go with fucking content warning. <laughs> like a scientist but financial requirements are just candy and Heineken Band-Aids are
1: new record, Everything Is Going To Be Okay. That was Simo Sue uh, with a track called Breathe Run. And we also had another track there called Hi. And uh, Simo Sue is in the studio with me. Welcome to 3CR. It's awesome having you here. Uh, cheers. Thanks for having me. You have a real talent for, for writing lyrics. Oh, I imagine that a lot of your inspiration comes from people you meet out in the, in the rapping scene, in the clubbing scene. I mean, you're a DJ, you're a promoter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's a bit of internet action happening there too. Uh, yeah, for sure. Are they p- random people or, or people that you know quite well?
3: Uh, both. I mean, and myself, who I, myself, I know well and not so well as well. But uh, yeah, like, I like picking up on like kind of little things that people say. I have like notes. I'll like, awesome ask notes you that. I notes in my phone. So. <laughs> so you, are you
1: one of these note takers that writes them down quickly after they happen? Or do you do it like the, the next day? And oh, no, let, I, do it, I no. do it straight away. <laughs>
3: like I'll just yeah straight away straight into my phone.
1: It's great. Yeah. <laughs> now I read a piece that said that your new record, everything is going to be okay, is the sound of an artist in recovery removed from their home base. To what extent do you think that's accurate? C-
3: completely, I suppose. Yeah? Like like I I, I started like I moved from Sydney to here uh, and i was staying like my my uh, with my my brother and my mom, uh, and my brother's wife uh, in like Woodend uh and i didn't have a job or any money or anything i was just like making this album uh and it's kind of in the middle of the, in the, middle of the woods uh so yeah yeah i was just like kind of on my own just with the internet and scary woods around me so lots of loneliness <laughs> in there yeah yeah i mean i had the internet but like uh yeah i know for sure like loneliness is definitely a big part of the record
1: now, I read one review that said that uh, this is the sound of a brutally honest and totally fucking weird artist, unafraid to push boundaries and create their own sound. You must have been happy with that. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty, like... Do you think it's yeah. true? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't really care about... Uh, I mean, I make hip-hop, but, like, I, I think the essence of hip-hop is, like, you, you take from any genre, you don't really... You just kind of push things. I mean, like, the beginning of hip-hop was... Boundary pushing and experimental, so should keep you know within the. the yes, it sounds like you're uh, a bit over hip hop. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I think I think it's more about bringing, uh, putting those things into it and filtering it through a hip hop lens. I, th- I think like when I used to, like when I started, I made more like electronic punk music, I suppose when I started. Um But I think. And I, I think I just called it that because I didn't think that I could rap as well as I could.
1: It's interesting because um, you know you have been defined by by some writers as as a punk artist. Sure. But how on earth do you define punk in the twenty first century? That's true. I how mean, would you define it?
3: Well, I think punk is hip hop now.
1: Really? <laughs> like,
3: like you you kind of look at like even like pop pop artists are kind of punk now. Like you you look at like
1: or R and B a lot yeah. of pops R and B.
3: Yeah, for sure. Like like. Uh, you know, the whole kind of not caring about convention or genre or yeah, I don't know. I, I think punk is just doing whatever you want to do. And, and I think and there's an aesthetic to it. Uh, but I think the, the Mohawk and, you know, a studded jacket it, as cool as that is, you know, has changed
1: to something else. We've moved on from the six pistols. Sure. So how would you describe Australian punk music?
3: Uh, I mean, it's pretty varied. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like like uh I, I think within like punk community stuff I'm a bit like outside of that. Like like um you know, I have his friends in like queer punk bands that are really cool and like uh noise bands and stuff, but like I guess the more pop punk, punk and the broy kind of punk stuff. I'm I'm not really that aware of that stuff, but um I don't know. <laughs> I think I I think even 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 though uh, I think I'm rambling, I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) I think punks more a spirit now, and I think it it can be any genre it wants to be, and I think
1: I think that's a good thing. (laughs) There's a bit of idealism there, which is good. Yeah. (laughs) You worked with the New York rapper Blackheart. What were they like?
3: Uh, He does like really cool, kind of really cool, like. Video game inspired R and B hip hop. Uh, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> I think it's be hard to uh, to lock down in a genre, but uh, you should, yeah, everyone should check him out. He's
1: he's incredible. Yeah. I was I was searching for some photos of you on the internet, and um, Mama Alto, the local you know soul diva, popped up. Who's a who's a really fantastic, talented singer in her early twenties. Have you heard yeah. of them? No. I think you should work with them, actually. I think you For should sure? track them down. Yeah, yeah yeah, down. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, let's get back to your lyrics. Sure. Uh, they're pretty amazing. There was one uh, line, or it was a double line, actually, on, on your track, Breath, from the new album. Yeah. Uh, it goes something like, Where did my clothes go? They came off when my brain was gone. Yeah. What was the story <laughs> there?
3: Well, I th- I mean, I think that whole song is about, like, uh, kind of excess and, like, kind of losing your mind a bit and that thing of, like... Uh, I mean, clothes is like figurative, but it's like you know, uh, like like within that like, like that song, I'm listing all these things. Like I'm you know, I'm losing my mind, I'm losing my friends, I'm losing my clothes, I'm losing uh, kind of everything, and and this idea of like uh, all these things connect <laughs> in some way, or of like your, your belongings, or uh, you know, and I, I guess as well that that idea of getting like blind drunk and waking up naked, you know. On the floor in your room, or something like that, and I guess that's where it comes in, in that part. But like, I like think the song is like you know a, a, a checklist of things that you lose as you lose, you know,
1: your mind. Your lyrics also challenge the dominant paradigms that float around in, in society. And in, sure. in the track High, you talk yeah. about the guy who thinks he's got the big dick with the piss sure. girlfriend
2: no.
1: uh, who doesn't think about his actions. No. Uh, and everything's focused on, you know, cis people. Doesn't, sure. doesn't really question anything beyond that. No. No. Is Is that something that you encounter a lot and want to push back against?
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, like the chorus in it, like I'm saying... Um, you know, this will put hairs on your chest, which I remember like being a kid and like, you know, all the male adults around me would be like, you know, you know eat, eat your, your meat or, or, you know, have a sip of beer or something. And it's like that'll put like hairs on your chest, which is like, you know, supposed to make you a man or something. And it's like, I don't really care about that. But it's like this thing that's ingrained in you. from a kid, you know, do this thing and it'll make you the man. And it's like, what if you don't want to be the man, you know? Yeah, and so do you find there's a
1: lot of ginger questioning with your work?
3: Oh, damn, yeah, totally. Yeah, And I, I think. I mean, like, hip-hop is, like, changing so much, but it's, like, uh, you know, there's it's a very mask culture around it, especially when you get into more mainstream hip-hop and stuff like that. So, And a lot uh, of violence around hip-hop as well. For sure, for sure. Um, and I, I think, I think, I mean, a lot of that I feel like I can't get
1: into, but, like... It's interesting because yeah. because that all seems so unnew, but yet as as a performer, so, you do hip-hop so well, as we just yeah. heard from those tracks. Yeah, so just, there's a real kind of contradiction there.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I think it's what they with hip-hop. I mean, it's like the biggest thing about hip-hop is you know, living a truth and, you know, like when people like you know, Drake gets called out for not writing these lyrics because it's not real. So, like, if I'm talking about the real me, I'm talking about, you know, uh, anxiety or, like, hyper-masculine culture stuff, and that, thats the real me. So that's that's me
1: being hip hop. You know, <laughs> your rapping voice, your hip hop voice, is very different from your natural sure. spoken voice. Yeah. Uh, is that because when you're performing, there's kind of like an emotional kind of um, channeling going through that doesn't happen when you're not performing?
3: Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Like, tell I us I'm, about that. I think I'm like I'm the, the, the cliche of like Gemini. Like I'm kind of chill in real life, but I get on stage and I'm just like wilding out and like, you know, hanging off the rafters and stuff. So I, th- I think along with that comes my, my voice uh, and I kind of, I could grow up playing in punk bands and stuff. So I think it's a takeover of that and like, I do actually want to sing more, like in my next, the next stuff I do, I want to sing more. But um, yeah, I don't know that voice just kind of comes out of me. So how old were
1: <laughs> you when you performed in punk bands when you, when you first started
3: uh, I think it's was about, like, 13 or something. Wow. Yeah.
1: And where did you grow up?
3: Uh, I grew up in, like, the Blue Mountains of Sydney. Um,
1: really? Yeah. Because <laughs> you've got a hybrid accent. There's almost like there's a North American influence in there.
3: For sure. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I, mean, I haven't spent that much time there, but I've I've spent time in, like, LA and California since I was little and stuff. Uh, and kind of, you know, I, I, think, I think as well, like, growing up in, like, Western Sydney and the Blue Mountains, like, where it's, like... I think I adopted this voice to like push back against this kind of broken accent that was all
1: around me I guess in
3: a way. Uh yeah, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Your childhood sounds like it would have given you a lot to kind of, you know, identify with queer people, that kind of um having to reinvent yourself and also make yourself resilient in sure. relation to that kind of that hit mask, um, white no. Uh, Anglo uh, conservatism that obviously you had around you when you were growing up. It must no. have been incredibly frustrating.
3: Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty intense. But like, yeah, I think, I think, I think like part of me is I'm I'm quite, I mean, I have ADHD, but uh, I think on top of that, I'm quite spacey. And, and I think that comes from being a kid and just kind of inventing my own kind of world and uh, just kind of doing my own thing outside of all this kind of stuff I don't really identify with or things like that, I suppose. And I think I think that helped me get through that so, yeah i think that's part of that
1: your lyrics are very punchy is that because of your adhd do you think do you think there's an influence there in terms of how you how you write
3: oh no totally
1: <laughs> i mean like,
3: like i kind like i only kind of got diagnosed like i don't know when i say like three years ago uh but i remember like i always get reviews and they always say i had my music sounded like add or something and i'm looking back at it and i'm like <laughs> you wrote it up but like a uh, yeah no totally and it, but i also think it's like part of yeah no no I think you know, you're totally right but yeah I, I think I get I get bored uh, with a flow I get bored with a sound so it just changes I just make something else um, yeah so what's next uh, I don't know I mean I've been kind of like I've already started a new record I made a secret project that I put on like Spotify I haven't told anyone about really <laughs> and like, uh, but it's got yeah it's called like Tofu Mountains it's on like Spotify and was well, everywhere. Uh, I didn't tell anyone about it. Why Uh, not? I just kind of wanted to put something out without uh, my name attached to it, and I was doing the record, and I just was just doing all these things. Uh, Yeah, and I I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna do like three albums this year.
1: So, (laughs) so you're not, you're not, um, you don't have writer's block. You, you're not kind of, um scared of your capacity to to write clearly you know in terms yeah. of like you know your creative flows drying up you, you sound yeah. pretty confident that you can do that you can produce those three albums this year that's that's extraordinary yeah, that's
3: totally, yeah. i think a lot of that like working on like like there's a track on the album called uh, independent which i just freestyled to so like um like yeah. on
1: everything is okay yeah or on on the yeah. tofu one
3: uh oh no the, everything is going to be okay uh called Independent, which I, I freestyled to like, you know, like a, a metronome uh, and I had like um, a laptop open and it was just like a random word generator and I just freestyled it and then I just broke the song around it and at that point I didn't have anything, you know, I felt like I didn't have anything to say so I just like said some stuff and wrote a song around it. So I, I think I've built up all these ways to, you know, get around that. I suppose You
1: use a <laughs> random word generator. Yeah. <laughs> How does that work? Tell us about that.
3: Uh, it was just like a it was just like a random website uh, that just it just throws up a word and you can you can say like every five seconds every four seconds.
1: Uh, so that's part of your writing process.
3: It was for that song. Yeah. Do
1: you, so you don't use it for other tracks.
3: I haven't yet. I'll probably do it again.
1: <laughs> All righty, we've got a track of yours to play. It's called Spruce Moose. Cool. Tell <laughs> us what it's about.
3: Uh. I guess like uh, this is about like me leave- leaving like Sydney, uh, which is a pretty like rough place to live as an artist. Uh, Why? Uh, it's to do with like like the lockout laws and like um the police and the rent and like it's just really intense. the rent. The rent, yeah. What's that? Oh, like like uh, house rent. Right. Yeah. Like uh, like it's really expensive to live there. So like people are really like anxious, like understandably, uh, and. I feel like the way it feeds into the, like, creative scenes is, like, everyone's so thirsty. Like, they got to get that, that place because they got to pay their rent. So, like, uh, I feel like... Is that why you left? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's part of it for sure. Like, uh, it's really rough to live there. And I feel like there's heaps of really creative, amazing people there. And they're all going on the radar. And <laughs> I felt like maybe I was as well. So... I kind of wrote this song about it, but it's also singing from the place of, like, like the words that a says in the song are, like, about being in the good place. So it's starting in, like, this horrible place, not being unsure and feeling uh, unappreciated. And by the end, it's, it's just, like, middle fingers and just, like, I'm good.
1: <laughs> well, Sydney's loss is Melbourne's gain. Oh, uh, thank you.
3: Uh, when and where can people see you perform? Uh, I don't really have anything for I, I'm playing with, like, uh, my friend Low Vision at some point, I think, this month. But I don't have else booked. Like, uh, email me or, or Twitter me or something. I'll, I'll buy it. a record on Bandcamp because yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, cheers. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Simo Sue, thank you so much for joining me on In Your Face. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, we're going to go with your track, Spruce Moose. And uh, please have a listen to this album on Bandcamp. It is awesome. You're on 3CR. <laughs>
0: Me shit, but I still rob a bank and give it all to my besties. I'm stupid like that, I do think it, it works out in the end. I'm careful with sweets cause I don't want to offend. I grew up out of suburbs with no friends. Now I'm in a service with five friends Life got no structure but my song still Fucked over by life in my high school And time don't exist when you never age Amazed at how I feel these days When I'm not dodging kicks like a sidechain. chain The pain remains in my body Gotta smooth it out on audio collab With Bjork before 2040 And I'm all working, no play I'll rebirth myself while the Simo My sister's true smooth Hopping off so fucking loose I'm blue schools like Mr. Burst my show earns, they buy me food. I'm so clear, I'm see through. No creeps at my shows. But if it's either you being a bro, I'll kick your ass though. I'm solo, you're thirsty, you can't have me. All that life has, I'm still alive. I'm so fucking rad, right, and you know that. Me shit, but I still rob a bank and give it all to my besties. I'm stupid like that. I think it or works out in the end. I'm careful with tweets cause I don't want to offend. <laughs> My laptop is so pissed, my left don't suck. Because I'm a fucking cook, a feminist, a stupid vegan on the left wing. I'm making mess of your industry. It's similar in so, I make a messy, stupid industry. Never thought to on me. Maybe I'm getting ahead of me, soft brain in my pedigree. No money like you trust, fun DJs. I gotta release songs to get the stream played. Never gave me shit, but I'd still rob a bank and give it all to my besties. I'm stupid like that, I uh, think that it works out in the end. I'm careful with tweets because I don't want to offend. Cause I had to learn everything with no money, and you don't know this, and it's so obvious. And you ain't even listening to this, but it's only a reminder for myself.
1: There, the community of hope. It is almost twenty to five. You're on interface on three CR with James, and the interview you're about to hear will contain descriptions of domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and sexual themes, and may be distressing to some listeners. If this type of content is a trigger for you, please join us again after the interview. On the line, we have uh, Jackson Fairchild, who is a counselling service manager at the Victorian AIDS Council Gay Men's Health Centre. Welcome, Jackson.
4: Hi there, how are you?
1: I'm well. Uh, Jackson, how widespread is domestic violence in the LGBTI community? It's not talked about very much.
4: It's not talked about very much and it is a taboo topic within our community, but I think it's fair to say that uh, domestic violence or family violence, as we often call it, is just as widespread in our communities as it would be in the mainstream community and has just as much of a serious impact. Uh, And in many ways has more of an impact because, as you said, it's not talked about.
1: To what extent do you think the marriage equality campaign swept discussion about domestic violence under the carpet because people were scared that it would detract from the campaign uh, and kind of, you know, detract from this white picket fence image the community often wants to project?
4: I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think there was a real issue during that time. Um, A lot of issues were swept under the the carpet as there were... um, some issues that were being picked up and used by the opposing lobby groups against us and people became very, very cautious about talking about anything that could be used outside of that, even though, as I said, it's just a problem that's the same for us as it is for the mainstream community and shouldn't be used as a point of difference.
1: When people think of domestic violence, they often think of people in relationships, but it's much broader than that, isn't
4: it? Absolutely. I mean, family is a very broad term and I think particularly for LGBTIQ people, family is a very broad term. It can affect those of us you know, in the fam- our families of origin, I think that's one of the most common stories you'd hear, uh, being bullied or, um, you know, experiencing trans biohomophobia growing up. It can also be experienced in our families of choice, um, in brief relationships that may only last for a short period of time, um, in long-term relationships or in open or poly relationships.
1: So what are some of the mental health effects of partner or domestic violence that, that you see as a counsellor? Are some more, are some mental health conditions more commonplace than others as a result of, of, of violence, domestic violence?
4: I think trauma is probably the most important one we need to talk about. It has a very, when you've experienced um, a sudden or a chronic state of fear or caution in your life, um, you might become what we call hypervigilant. You might become really worried that that you're not safe all of the time, it has a tremendous impact on both the mind and the body. And those impacts can continue for many years. And if people don't receive support in their recovery, they can actually start to feel worse rather than better over time. People often say to us, why do I not feel better? It was years ago. And we say, well, because you might be actually experiencing that continuing vigilance or trauma. And some people might talk about PTSD or other words like that, but it is that long-term impact um, that we try to address when we're working with clients.
1: So tell us more about those day-to-day mental health effects like um, do you see things like attention deficit disorder for example because people are so stressed out that they can't concentrate?
4: It's difficult to sort of put a a formal diagnosis on some of the things. Um, Attention deficit disorder and trauma can be seen, a person may think they have attention deficit disorder when in fact what they have is trauma um, because they can't concentrate because they're sitting there in the room and they're Their their mind and their body is constantly out for threats. They may be exhausted. They may not be sleeping. They may be having nightmares. And those things may have become so normal for that person. And and as part of the abuse, they may have learnt that that is somehow been taught that awful lesson that somehow that's to their fault, which is, of course, absolutely not true. But it can make it difficult for them to seek help. They may be sitting there um, experiencing anxiety, depression, other things their GP may be missing, but actually... Those questions, what's going on in your life? What are you thinking about? Uh, what are your relationships like that are often where the truth of the matter lies?
1: It sounds awful. I mean those kinds of effects that that occur that you just outline where people feel they can't talk about it, uh, mm. and the symptoms that they're having, that must be magnified by by homophobia, both external and internal
4: uh, and stigma. Absolutely. The stigma uh, created by, by the, you know our own feelings about ourselves that's created by the structural oppression in society can really make it very hard to speak out. Relationships, if you're not out um, about your relationship, you may not be able to tell anyone about what's going on. Um, that person may have told you that it's your fault, that it's something about you that, that, that made, quote-unquote, made them do it, which is, of course, not true. Um, or they may have uh, used something else about you um, and your mental health or other health issues as a way of trying to convince you that this is somehow your fault and further stigmatise you.
1: How would you rate services that actually help people to, um, you know, get out of these situations in terms of their focus on LGBTI communities? And I'm particularly thinking about government funding in relation to services. It sounds like it's probably completely inadequate.
4: Well... Luckily enough, if you'd asked me that question a number of years ago, I would have said yes, absolutely, it's completely inadequate. But we're living in a really exciting time. Um, Last year, the um, budget and as a result of what we call the Royal Commission into Family Violence, there were a whole bunch of recommendations regarding LGBTI people that the government has committed to honour. And so we've seen widespread training being uh, rolled out into those mainstream services. And also, more importantly, funding being put into LGBTI-led services to help support People both at that crisis point and at that recovery point, and and this is something a lot of people uh, don't know about. We also provide groups for those people who are using violence uh, to be more accountable and to find other ways of choosing to live their relationships, so they're no longer using that violence.
1: And do you find that it's easy to get people to do that?
4: Um, No, it's because it is emerging because it hasn't been normalised. Because you know most people don't know someone who's been through one of those groups. there's, there's often a reluctance. They think, oh, what if I go along and, you know, I don't know what to expect. And the more we talk about it, like this opportunity today, the more people talk to each other and normalise that we need to reach out um, and talk about uh, our experience of violence, the easier it's going to get. And I think we're going into some very exciting years ahead with all the new services.
1: So what kind of therapeutic approach do you use? Is there one that seems to work best?
4: Um I think in terms of an approach, we talk about what we call the trauma-informed approach, where we think about and identify ways in which people can feel as safe as possible accessing services. Um, so different people respond to different forms of therapy. Someone might, um, a cognitive behavioural model or a narrative model may feel good for them, but what's most important is when they visit a service they feel really, really safe. When they come in, they feel like the services for them, that they're seen, that their um, sexuality and gender is acknowledged, and also that they're not triggered or forced to go through any content that would feel uh, inappropriate and that they move at the pace which matters for them. And often that means providing a service that's really tailored. So we talk about recovery models where we'll have a case manager and uh, um, who's like a counsellor and a highly skilled case manager and also someone with a lived experience of violence who will walk alongside them through that program to support them in identifying and empowering them to find a different way of um, moving through the world after this ter- uh, these horrible events.
1: You must see a lot of people shut down emotionally.
4: Oh, yeah, that, that word shutdown is very, very common. I think when you're really exhausted, when you're really triggered, when, when you just can't trust people anymore, um, people go into that sort of dissociative shutdown quite commonly. And sometimes it's a really gentle process of helping them find their way back into their body and a sense of safety.
1: Do you find that financial abuse is a big part of partner violence and also people being cut off from their friends and families?
4: Such a great question. I think it's one of the most important things and one of the ones that has historically not been talked about, but we're seeing it talked about more and more these days. And there's an event I'll talk about in a second we're going to be covering, which will include some content about that, Financial abuse is such a powerful way of controlling or isolating someone and can continue after a relationship is ended too when people have had those uh, enmeshed relationships. People can not have access to money. They may have debts in their name. They may have been forced to sign things that don't belong to them or they may just constantly be made to feel guilty that they're not doing enough financially for their partner and all of these can have a very, very long-lasting effect.
1: You're from the Victorian AIDS Council. It's hosting two workshops later this month for LGBTIQ folks to talk about partner violence and healing and recovery. Tell us about those sessions.
4: So we run a program um, with Drummond Street Services uh, and Mary Community Health called iHeal, and this program's partnering with a fantastic community organisation called Undercover Victoria, um, and the, the iHeal program provides that case management and recovery support I talked about earlier. These events are around relationships. The first one is called Relationships, Communication, Consent and Support. This one's almost sold out. It's run over two days. Um, you can find more information on it by going to the Undercurrent Victoria Facebook group. Um, Vax hosting it um, in partnership with, with uh, Drummond Street and with um, Undercurrent. Um, and then there's another workshop called Money Matters, which is all about that financial abuse and becoming more financially empowered. And that's running on Tuesday the 29th of May and Monday the 11th of June. Again, it's a two-part workshop because there is a lot to cover. The first one, on relationships and consent, that's almost sold out, um, but we're still um, accepting places. But the Money Matters workshop is, um, has only just opened up.
1: Now, I read there's an age restriction on the consent workshop. Is that true? Is it only for 18 to 35-year-olds? And if so, Why?
4: At this stage, it is, yes, because some of the content that's being discussed is quite um, uh, confrontational uh, confronting, I should say, Um, and um, because of the nature of the content that's being discussed, there's unique needs that come in for people who are under 18, but you can expect um, there's quite a lot of content that's put out by Undercurrent, and there'll be more content put out by us in future that will help cover the unique needs of people who are under 18.
1: But there's not actually an age restriction on the financial focus workshop, yeah?
4: Uh, I believe there is as well, I'm right. afraid. Yeah, I believe it is an 18 to 35-year-old uh, event as well. Yeah.
1: Any prospect of some forums for people who are over 35?
4: Absolutely. We run quite a number of events that will be over 35. It's just at this point where with Undercurrent because their particular focus is in that age group, but the Hill program, and if you visit the, the VAC Facebook or the Drummond Street or Mary Community Facebooks, you can find out about there are regular events that are run that are outside that are all ages.
1: Jackson Fairchild, your work is incredibly important, and thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. It's much appreciated.
4: Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Cheers. And that was Jackson Fairchild, who is a counselling services manager at the Victorian AIDS Council Game Inns Health Centre, talking about those workshops in relation to partner and uh, domestic violence, and we'll have some details up on our website, too, about how you can seek more information about that. Now, if the content of this interview has raised questions or caused distress for you, please call Lifeline. Their number is 13 11 14. If you need support, advice, uh, or if you need um, some support in relation to a sexual matter that's come up regarding this interview, you can contact the Rape and Domestic Violence Services Australia on one eight hundred two eleven o two eight, 211 28 or you can contact iHeal Family Violence and Recovery Support. It's only operational during business hours on 96636733 and we'll put the links and numbers up for all those services on our website 3cr.org.au forward slash in your face after the show it is 10 to 5 you are on in your face on 3cr and here's aretha franklin again (laughs)